0: Good morning. Uh, For those who don't know me, I'm Paul, one of the uh, pastors here. Now, I have to admit that's a bit of a shift for me to refer to myself as pastor. Uh, Different backgrounds, there was always the pastor, then others that worked with him. And the readings we've been doing as we're going through this unification process tells us that pastor, elder, overseer, are all three the same position under different names. And so part of the unification is I now am a pastor, which is a little bit weird for me. (laughs) But uh, um, so that's, like I say, uh, a mind shift i got to go through today. As we continue uh, through the Gospel of Luke... Today, we're only looking at three verses, but in those three verses delivered by Jesus as he continued with his sermon on the plane, we see a powerful commentary on showing our true selves rather than just putting up a good front. Please give attention to the Word of God. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's on the screen. And you'll find it in one of the black-covered pew Bibles on page 863. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to borrow one of the pew Bibles. Monday through Saturday, they just hang in that rack and collect dust. An unused Bible just becomes another book. And God's Word should never be just another book. So if you don't have one at home, take one home and use it. Bring it back and forth with you. We've got more. So give attention to the word of God. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Our tendency is often to ignore our own inconsistencies, thinking that it's enough to give a good outward showing while letting our hearts go quite another direction. But Jesus makes it clear that this is a game we simply cannot win. What's on the inside will not stay hidden, whether for good or for ill. And that is related to the central idea of this text, The content of your heart is revealed by the condition of your fruit. Reading Luke 6.43 again, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Christ's statement is fairly obvious and doesn't require a lot of explanation. All of us who have ever done much gardening or fruit picking know that sick and weak trees produce a meager crop and that crop is anything but good, maybe even bitter. Now, I'm not really a good gardener. It's not one of the things that's in my wheelhouse, and I know absolutely nothing about keeping an orchard outside of knowing that to be successful year after year, it takes a lot of hard work, pruning, pruning, knowing when to spray and when not to spray to keep the bugs out, when to harvest it, and how to do everything right to help next year's crop be successful and productive. When I took on this uh, opportunity to speak today, I started looking for other insights on the contents of today's, today's verses. I came across one that kind of jogged a personal memory for me. Fifty years ago, summer in 1972, I was in the Navy. I was stationed at Naval Air Station in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Uh, going to school to learn how to become a Navy weatherman. One Saturday, several friends and I decided we were going to take a bike hike up to Princeton, about 35 miles up. A little over the halfway point there, we saw this roadside fruit stand, and we'd been on the road for a while. It's a good place to stop, get a snack, kind of recharge the batteries, stretch out a bit. Saw some big peaches on the shelf. Picked one up, paid for it. bit it. My first impression that it was so sweet that something closely resembling heaven had just exploded inside my mouth. It had been a long time since I'd eaten a fresh peach, and I'd gotten used to the uh, taste of canned peaches, so this was something totally different. I think when I bit into it, I bent over and said, wow, something like that. I had peach juice dripping off my chin. I'm bending over like that to keep from getting on my clothes. It's running down my arm and dripping onto the ground. Skin almost slipped off. It practically peeled itself. To get fruit like that is not an accident of nature. Took a skilled orchardist. A lot of hard work and a refusal to compromise. Eating a lot of fruit since then. And for several years in a row, we always pre-order a box of peaches from the peach truck. I'm waiting for it to get here. And yet, that one single peach from 50 years ago at a roadside stand in New Jersey remains the one that I will measure every other peach against. And if you want good fruit to be produced from your life, it's going to take exactly the same sort of hard work that that unknown orchard keeper who produced that memorable peach put into growing it. Good fruit from a follower of Jesus Christ is no accident. It takes a lot of hard work and a refusal to compromise. The applications of this are the following: You must have a changed heart before you can have changed behavior. You will produce good fruit if you are a believer. You are not a believer if you do not produce good fruit. Your good fruit is God's good fruit, and you must inspect the fruit of your own heart. Proverbs 14.14, 14, it says, The backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. We learn from this text the necessity of our complete need for the Lord to change us and to give him all the glory that he later brings in and through us. First point, you must have a changed heart before you have changed behavior. Jesus has taught us all of this already and so far in Luke 6. We'll do a quick review of the previous things Jesus has said. As we judge others, we'll also be judged. So we must know, judge rightly, know what to judge That includes judging ourselves. It's a point Jamie made just last week. He knows that most of us have a big problem seeing the planks in our own eyes. We're blind to the sin in our own lives that is so obvious to everyone else around us. So in Luke 66, 43, 45, Jesus provides a way to help us see our own sin. This is not a way for you to notice the sin in others but a way for you to see the sin in your own life. Do you want to see the planks in your own eye? Do you want to discover what sin you're hiding in your heart? Don't look at your actions. Don't look at your behavior. We're always able to justify our actions and give excuses for our behavior. If you really want an honest glimpse into your own heart, you must listen to your words. And Jesus begins to talk about this in Luke 6, 43 and 44, where he tells us that all trees bear fruit. And when I think of the idea of a changed heart, I can't help but thinking way out of season right now. Dickens' A Christmas Carol and Dr. Seuss' How the Grinch Stole Christmas are both stories about changed hearts. Scrooge had a change of heart from viewing Christmas as a humbug to pledging to keep Christmas in my heart all the year. And of course, very early on reading Dr. Seuss's book, we learned that the Grinch's heart was two sizes too small. But then on that day, it grew three sizes that day. And they were relatively simple illustrations, but they both pointed out that improvement always requires a change of heart. You will produce good fruit if you are a believer, the second point. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. It's another point that Pastor Jamie's made in his sermon the last two weeks. Who you are is what you do. And maybe another contemporary equivalent is the phrase, if you're going to talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. Far too often we see prominent people who speak one message, but then live their lives and do things that clearly indicate That they don't listen to their own words. When the individuals or people who claim to be messengers of God's word are the ones getting caught into the deception, adultery, greed, even criminal activity, it doesn't just reflect on that person's shortcomings. But the world at large will apply those characteristics to every one of Jesus' followers. You meet one bad Christian suddenly all Christians are alike. Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger, and some other televangelists' failures all get transferred to us. There's an expectation that those who call themselves Christians will exhibit godliness and Christ-like attitudes in living. And when we fail at it, which we will because we are humans with an inborn sin nature... People are quick to point that out, where, when, and how we have failed. Eventually, though it may take time for the harvest to come, the good or bad fruit is evident, revealing what sort of tree we are, and not every tree is the same. Next point, you are not a believer if you do not produce good fruit. Finishing verse 44, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a a bramble bush. These are two separate but closely related principles. First principle is, you can't find what you want or need by looking in the wrong places. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, most of it is about King Solomon's search for satisfaction, gratification, peace, or self-fulfillment, by looking for it everywhere but toward God. And it just happened that this week I'm doing a through-the-year Bible reading plan, and three days this week were the book of Ecclesiastes, just in time for this sermon. And if you can read the first several verses of chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes and not subconsciously sing it like the birds, you're a better person than I am. I'm sorry. Turn, turn, turn. <laughs> But Solomon was blessed in many ways. He'd been granted wisdom to rule well. Because he had asked God to grant him that wisdom, God in turn blessed him in all the ways that Solomon had not asked for a blessing. As we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours which is so great? God answered Solomon, Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked for a long life but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king wisdom and knowledge are granted to you I will also give you riches, possessions and honor such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. That's a big promise. Think about what God commanded Solomon. Ask what I shall give you. Don't get confused. This is not the genie coming out of the lamp and granting you three wishes. This is not the Make-A-Wish Foundation offering someone with a terminal condition an all-expenses-paid trip to Disney World. This is God telling Solomon, tell me what you want. I think that most of us in a similar situation will look to, would tend to think in humans term, human terms, here and now, what's in it for me, anything I want. Solomon could easily have asked for the things that we often take for our wildest dreams or wishes, But he didn't. He chose something that benefited the entire nation of Israel, not just himself. As a result, Israel was granted peace from their neighbors. From the moment they left Egypt to the time they crossed the Jordan River, and all through their history, right up through the rule of Solomon's father David, Israel had to fight for its very existence. But during Solomon's reign, Israel had peace. Solomon had wealth. If you combine the wealth of many of today's multi-billionaires, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, they still wouldn't come close to Solomon's riches. He had way more many wives than any man should ever want. He went on a journey of pleasure-seeking, denying himself nothing. If it feels good, do it. That left him frustrated, joyless, and empty, to the point that he said everything was vanity of vanities and striving after the wind. In other words, he did a lot of work, he did a lot of playing, and in many ways wasted a lot of what God had blessed him with and ended up with nothing to show for it. The second principle stated in this portion of verse 44 is you can't find good things by looking in bad places. Similar but different from the first principle. Note that Jesus didn't say, for figs are not gathered from apple trees, nor are grapes picked from a tomato vine. Rather, he uses the terms thorn bush and bramble bush. Neither of these are good places to be. And he uses these specific examples of bad places to make his point. And I know from personal experience, that charging into a thorn bush is not a good place to be. When I was a police officer, one of our guys got into a pursuit. The, the, the guy crashed, bailed out of his car, took off through a field. I went another way, got around the other side of the field, got out, and I'm running on the edge of that field. It's dark, and I'm running on the edge of the field hoping to be able to see that guy and intercept him. I couldn't see the low-hanging branches on a hawthorn tree and ran into it, took about four or five more steps after it snagged me, and all of a sudden, it catapulted me backward. I had to look like something out of a Looney Tunes cartoon as I sailed backward through the air and landed on on my back. It hurt. It tore me up, tore my uniform, scratched my face, landed on my back, didn't get a chance to brace myself. So thorn trees, getting caught by a thorn bush is not a good place to be. Of course, in all of this, Jesus isn't really talking about fruit in a literal sense. The fruit he refers to is representative of the contents of our hearts. It refers to our thoughts, our actions, and how we relate to other people. Again, you are what you do. Thorn bushes and bramble bushes are the places where the bad things exist. So why are these thorn bushes and bramble bushes? In our world, there are a lot of different things. There are anything that keeps us from being a true follower of Jesus. It might be that adult bookstore just off the interstate exit ramp. It might be certain websites that you browse too often or some of the channels on cable or streaming channels or something like that. It could be the casino or the sports betting location where you lose more money than you can afford to lose in the hope that you'll somehow win more more money than you can ever use. Might be an improper relationship with someone who isn't your wife or husband. might be the addiction to drugs or alcohol that consumes your time, money, relationships, character and health. Thorn Bush might be the belief that if I just get that car, that boat, that motorcycle, that house, that piece of jewelry, then I'll be happy. Maybe it's if I spend a little bit more on cosmetic surgery, improving my appearance doing whatever I need to do to satisfy myself. And when you look in the mirror, you're never satisfied. All those things and more are the thorn bushes and bramble bushes that Jesus talked about. Because nothing good and lasting comes out of them. A long time ago, I tried to convince my wife that the world would be, able to be a much better place if her husband owned a sailboat. I got a sailboat. And then I... Sp- after I had it for about three years, I spent about five years trying to sell it because we weren't using it. So the world was temporarily a better place, but I ended up getting rid of that sailboat, but it took me longer to get rid of it than I actually owned it and used it. So it just doesn't go that way. And going back again to Solomon's experience in Ecclesiastes, he concludes that after all of his seeking, all the things that he described as vanity and striving after the wind, It boiled down to this in the closing verses of the book in chapter 12. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. All people bear fruit. Luke 6.45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of the heart, of his heart, brings forth evil. Your good fruit is God's good fruit. Our words reveal our heart. If there is good treasure in the heart, it will show. If evil, that also will show in time. Our words say more about us than we think, and reveal that some are good men, and some are evil men. And that's not to imply that it doesn't or can't change. The evil man can have a change of heart and become a good person, do good things. Likewise, without attention to it, the good man may become an evil person. It doesn't necessarily have to become an evil person, just an ineffective person. Good people have fallen into evil things in their lives by not constantly paying attention to keeping up the good. No one is saved from this. It requires constant attention. In fact, it's easier for the good person to, to go bad. There's less effort involved. While the evil person must do a lot to change and become accepted as a good person and begin producing good fruit, all that the good person has to do is become complacent or apathetic. Once again, the principle is who you are is what you do. Your thoughts, words, actions will all reveal who you truly are. Good people are always under the threat of losing that which is good in themselves. We may present ourselves to the world one way, but God doesn't measure what is seen, but what is carried in your heart. And there's another point to consider. Just as trees bear fruit from one year to the next, we also bear fruit, not just once, but daily, weekly, and literally all of our lives. Left to themselves, trees will eventually stop bearing, or at least will stop bearing good fruit. It's a necessary part of caring for an orchard. In John 15:2, we read, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. My late mother-in-law always kept a garden. At the one end of the garden plot was a strawberry patch, and she did a pretty good job attending to it. Year after year, we got good strawberries out of it, and we've transplanted a whole bunch of those strawberry plants from what used to be her garden into our garden, and hopefully... We'll get good strawberries out of it here. And she also had some raspberry bushes that she always tended to. And always got good raspberries off of that, those bushes. But on the one side of the house was a pear tree. and I can't think of any time when anyone did anything to that tree. Go back to the early comments about how that memorable peach was produced. Someone did a lot of work to keep that tree producing. My mother-in-law's pear tree was a different story. It bloomed, it produced pears. The pears weren't all that good. And I'm not saying that just because I don't really like pears, but you know, if pears are near the bottom of my fruit that I like scale, those pears were even lower. <laughs> they were small, misshapen, had lumps, bug bites, worms. And no one ever climbed the tree to pick them, they just waited them for the fall. I can't think of any time that tree was pruned except a couple limbs came out in a windstorm. Other than that, nobody did anything to that tree. So we'd go out and we'd gather up a couple bushes of pears, and by the time you got done peeling, coring, cutting away all the bumps, bad spots, you get five or six quarts of pears out of it. You're just like Solomon, putting a lot of work for not much product to show for it. And it's not the pear tree fault that it didn't produce good fruit. Rather, it was that the pear tree wasn't cared for. Whether it was complacency, apathy, just not enough time to tend to it, that pear tree stopped producing good fruit because it wasn't properly tended to. Our work to produce the fruit that Jesus refers to in these verses is a constant, never-ending process that requires our full attention. What we take in is what we put out. That pruning process can sometimes be painful. Giving up something, especially if it's pleasurable, often hurts, and we're comfortable where we are and nobody likes to get hurt. We don't see in ourselves what what we see in others or what others see in us. And we have to give it up, it hurts, either physically, emotionally, or mentally. Even worse, after we give it up, we have to be on constant watch to ensure that it doesn't creep back into our lives. It's another fairly simple principle. To get more good, get rid of the bad. If you want to know what's on the inside of a person, simply watch their actions. Listen to what comes out of their mouth on a regular basis. This is not being judgmental. It's being realistic. If the person is angry, rude, lewd, or immoral on a regular basis, you can be assured that this is what that person is like on the inside if a person is consistently kind, encouraging, and polite, then you can be reasonably sure that that's what he is like on the inside. Of course, it is possible that some people might up, put up a facade to deceive and others to deceive others regarding his character, but eventually what's inside will come out. The mouth speaks out of the abundance, the overflow of the heart. The primary point of application in Jesus' words seems to be this. When we see evil consistently coming out of a person in word and deed, we should not deceive ourselves by saying, well, I think he really is a good person. He just has a few bad habits. Or, that's just the way he talks. He's not really like that. How many people fall in love and get married thinking that the bad behavior will somehow be changed after they're married? How many parents deceive themselves regarding the spiritual state of their children, thinking they're true believers because of a childhood profession of faith, even though their lives demonstrate a completely different heart? I don't know how many times on the news you see somebody, some person responsible for a serious crime, and they defend the criminal. Oh, he's a good kid. He just fell in with some bad friends. So we're not only charged with monitoring ourselves, but also with monitoring our families. We have a responsibility to keep those bad friends out of the good kids' lives. And when Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, he meant that consistently sinful words and deeds are indicative of a sinful heart. Rather than always giving people the benefit of the doubt, we should do well to recognize the fruit that we observe and respond accordingly. Being a fruit inspector doesn't mean we consider ourselves to be without sin. It does mean that we are to be realistic about who to trust and whom we allow to exert influence over us and the people who, for whom we are responsible. Again, we have to judge rightly, including ourselves. And the words recorded in Luke 6.45 were also spoken by Jesus in Matthew 12. Beginning in verse 12 of Matthew 12, Jesus had just cast out a demon from a possessed man, and it didn't sit well with the religious leaders. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. i tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So the comparison of people to fruit is a recurrent theme. In Matthew, the words are spoken in immediate connection with the judgment which the Pharisees had passed on our Lord as casting out devils by Beelzebub, and follow on the same thought. He comes up with the same comparison. Tree, fruit, good people, bad people. The sequence of thought in that passage helps us trace a like sequence here. Out of the good treasure of his heart, the good man would bring forth not harsh or hasty judgment, but kindness, gentleness, compassion. And out of the evil treasure, of the man who was evil, the hypocrite who judged others by himself would bring forth bitterness, harsh surmises, and uncharitable condemnation. Another principle is you must inspect the fruit of your heart. The verses that we read today remind us how frank it is, coming straight from Jesus' mouth, that a good person will produce good actions and good words, but a bad person produces bad actions and bad words. The desire to not judge other people based on their words and actions has led us into compromising what we truly believe. We must remember what Jesus said, especially when he said that we can judge a person's character, through looking at their actions and words, just as how we judge a tree and we look at its fruits. If the trees are good, then it bears good fruits. If the tree is bad; it produces bad fruits. Just like people, if what is inside their heart is good, it will produce good actions and good words. While if what is inside their hearts is bad, it will produce bad actions and bad words. Indeed, it is very challenging for us because if we judge people's characteristics based on their actions and words, we know that we will see the people we've been pardoning the whole time. In doing so, we are also setting the anger of the world towards us, for they will brand us. Righteous, holier than thou, you know, look at your own, look at your own, They'll, you know, That verse that we used last week, you know, by that, as you judge us, you will be judged. Heard that a whole bunch of times when I was a police officer. We must understand that as Christians, it is more important for us to think about what God might see or think about us than what the people of the world think about us. Pleasing God and glorifying his name should be our main priority. Therefore, we must really reflect on this and be reminded that the mouth speaks whatever the heart is full of. So if it is full of evil, we can expect people to be saying evil and doing evil. Yet if it is full of goodness and the grace of God, it will speak about goodness and do good. Although we can also say that not every Christian speaks good, for they still sin, and indeed that's true. None of us are free from sinning. We do it. It's inborn in us. The difference is that we ask God to help us distinguish for who is good and who's bad, and it's true that while we sin, Christians should know that it was sin, was sin, that it was bad. Instantly reflect and repent. While the latter will continue to be sinning and will never recognize that it's sinning, but something to do just because they have deeper reasons. And being a Christian is not licensed to sin. You're not guaranteed anything, you know, that you say you're a Christian, but you continue to sin, it really makes people wonder if you change changed your heart. It's harsh and painful if we cannot judge other people for what we are, you know, because we're not also perfect, agreed. We must understand that Jesus did not say this for us to be so completely obsessed with judging others, but he wants to remind us that it's not just for others, but for ourselves. We have to judge ourselves. Jesus said this to make us aware for our own benefit so that we will assess our personal lives and check to see if we're that good tree that bears good fruit. Or are we a bad tree that bears bad fruit? Our eyes should not focus on others, but we should focus more on ourselves and check if what comes out from us is good and pleasing to the eyes of the Lord. Um, For all the other things that Michael Jackson did or didn't do, one song sticks with me Start with the man in the mirror. We must assess ourselves to see that we are not just claiming we're Christians but not, but you know, claiming we're Christians but not living a changed life. We're just claiming that we're Christians shallowly, but they'll still produce bad fruit. They are truly not Christians. We're hypocrites and the wrath of God is still on us. True Christians, true disciples of Christ will know the deeper understanding of his salvation. Once we know it, our hearts will be full of goodness and grace that will overflow from us. Therefore, it is Christ's salvation that will make us good trees, not ourselves. Nothing we can do on our own will get us into heaven. Nothing. You can be the greatest person in the world, but if you reject Christ, that will not get you into heaven. This... This is just, just shows that we really assess ourselves and check it every day and pray to God to fill our hearts with goodness, gratitude, and grace so that we will bear good fruit. We must funnel what our mouth should speak, for it reflects what is inside us. Let us remember to rebuke instead of compromising, but we should also do it with love and gentleness. We can't just claim it. We have to do it. We have to walk the walk. If you have questions about what it means to be a true Christian, a true disciple of Christ, talk to me or talk to the other pastors and elders. Talk to a friend who you know to be a true Christian. Spend time in prayer and in God's word to learn the truth of the gospel message. A couple of times I've gotten into arguments with people about the validity of the Bible. I ask them, well, have you read it? I don't have to read it. It's all fake. It's all, you know, myth. It's all stories and allegories. I don't have to read it. If you don't spend time in the Word, you can't properly judge the Word, nor can you know what the Word brings you. Spend time in prayer and God's Word to learn the truth of the gospel message, Christ came to save us. He alone lived a perfect and sinless life. He died a cruel death on a cross, not for what he did, but to take on the burden of our sin. Then he rose from the dead. He conquered death and the grave. He saved us from our sins. And don't kid yourself, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he loved us even while we were sinners. He ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father to judge us. We are in need of salvation. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. These are Jesus' promise. Jesus can change your heart. Through him, you can produce good fruit. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your eyes. I pray for those who may have questions about their relationship with you. We pray we will come to a knowledge of your grace and your salvation through faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.